Chapter Fifteen of Little Fuzzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Little Fuzzy by H. Beam Piper. Chapter Fifteen. Ernst Mallin shrank as though trying to pull himself into himself when he heard his name. He didn't want to testify. He'd been dreading this moment for days. Now he would have to sit in that chair, and they would ask him questions, and he couldn't answer them truthfully, and the globe over his head. When the deputy marshal touched his shoulder and spoke to him, he didn't think at first that his legs would support him. It seemed miles, with all the staring faces on either side of him. Somehow he reached the chair and sat down, and they fitted the helmet over his head and attached the electrodes. They used to make a witness take some kind of an oath to tell the truth. They didn't any more. They didn't need to. As soon as the veridicator was on, he looked up at the big screen behind the three judges. The globe above his head was a glaring red. There was a titter of laughter. Nobody in the courtroom knew better than he what was happening. He had screens in his laboratory that broke it all down into individual patterns, the steady pulsing waves from the cortex, the alpha and beta waves, beta aleph and beta beth and beta gimel and beta daleth, the thalamic waves. He thought of all of them, and of the electromagnetic events which accompanied brain activity. As he did, the red faded, and the globe became blue. He was no longer suppressing statements, and substituting other statements he knew to be false. If he could keep it that way! But sooner or later, he knew, he wouldn't be able to. The globe stayed blue while he named himself and stated his professional background. There was a brief flicker of red while he was listing his publications. That paper, entirely the work of one of his students, which he had published under his own name. He'd forgotten about that, but his conscience hadn't. Dr. Mallon, the oldest of the three judges, who sat in the middle, began, "'What, in your professional opinion, is the difference between sapient and non-sapient mentation?' "'The ability to think consciously,' he stated. The globe stayed blue. "'Do you mean that non-sapient animals aren't conscious, or do you mean they don't think?' Well, neither. Any life-form with a central nervous system has some consciousness, awareness of existence and of its surroundings, and anything having a brain thinks, to use the term at its loosest. What I meant was that only the sapient mind thinks and knows that it is thinking. He was perfectly safe so far. He talked about sensory stimuli and responses, and about conditioned reflexes. He went back to the first-century pre-atomic and Pavlov and Korzybski and Freud— the globe never flickered. The non-sapient animal is conscious only of what is immediately present to the senses, and responds automatically. It will perceive something, and make a single statement about it. This is good to eat. This sensation is unpleasant. This is a sex-gratification object. This is dangerous. The sapient mind, on the other hand, is conscious of thinking about these sense-stimuli, and makes descriptive statements about them, and then makes statements about those statements in a connected chain. I have a structural differential at my seat, if someone will bring it to me. Well, never mind now, Dr. Mallon. When you're off the stand and the discussion begins, you can show what you mean. We just want your opinion in general terms now. Well, the sapient mind can generalise. To the non-sapient animal, every experience is either totally novel or identical with some remembered experience. A rabbit will flee from one dog, because to the rabbit mind it is identical with another dog that has chased it. A bird will be attracted to an apple, and each apple will be a unique red thing to peck at. The sapient being will say, These red objects are apples. As a class, they are edible and flavoursome. He sets up a class under the general label of apples. 
This, in turn, leads to the formation of abstract ideas, redness, flavour, etc., conceived of apart from any specific physical object, and to the ordering of abstractions. Fruit is distinguished from apples. Food is distinguished from fruit. The globe was still placidly blue. The three judges waited, and he continued— Having formed these abstract ideas, it becomes necessary to symbolise them, in order to deal with them apart from the actual object. The sapient being is a symboliser and a symbol-communicator. He is able to convey to other sapient beings his ideas in symbolic form. Like Papi Jack, the judge on his right with a black moustache asked. The globe flashed red at once. "'Your Honours, I cannot consider words picked up at random and learned by rote speech. The Fuzzies have merely learned to associate that sound with a specific human and use it as a signal, not as a symbol.' The globe was still red, the Chief Justice in the middle rapped with his gavel. "'Dr. Mallon, of all the people on this planet, you at least should know the impossibility of lying under veridication. Other people just know it can't be done. You know why.' Now, I'm going to rephrase Judge Janiver's question, and I'll expect you to answer truthfully. If you don't, I'm going to hold you in contempt. When those fuzzies cried out, Pappy Jack, do you or do you not believe that they were using a verbal expression which stood in their minds for Mr. Holloway? He couldn't say it. This sapience was all a big fake. He had to believe that. The fuzzies were only little mindless animals. But he didn't believe it. He knew better. He gulped for a moment. "'Yes, Your Honour, the term Pappy Jack is, in their minds, a symbol standing for Mr. Jack Holloway.' He looked at the globe. The red had turned to mauve, the mauve was becoming violet, and then clear blue. He felt better than he had felt since the afternoon Leonard Kellogg had told him about the Fuzzies. "'Then Fuzzies do think consciously, Dr. Mallon,' that was Pendarvis. "'Oh, yes.' The fact that they use verbal symbols indicates that, even without other evidence, and the instrumental evidence was most impressive. The mentation pictures we got by encephalography compare very favourably with those of any human child of ten or twelve years old, and so does their learning and puzzle-solving ability. On puzzles they always think the problem out first, and then do the mechanical work, with about the same mental effort, say, as a man washing his hands or tying his neckcloth. The globe was perfectly blue. Mallon had given up trying to lie. He was simply gushing out everything he thought. Leonard Kellogg slumped forward, his head buried in his elbows on the table, and misery washed over him in tides. I am a murderer. I killed a person. Only a funny little person with fur, but she was a person, and I knew it when I killed her. I knew it when I saw that little grave out in the woods, and they'll put me in that chair and make me admit it to everybody— and then they'll take me out in the jail-yard, and somebody will shoot me through the head with a pistol, and—and and all the poor little thing wanted was to show me her new jingle. "'Does anybody want to ask the witness any questions?' the Chief Justice was asking. "'I don't,' Captain Greibenfeld said. "'Do you, Lieutenant?' "'No, I don't think so,' Lieutenant Wybarra said. "'Dr. Mallon's given us a very lucid statement of his opinions.' "'He had, at that.' After he'd decided he couldn't beat the veridicator, Jack found himself sympathising with Mallon. He'd disliked the man from the first, but he looked different now, sort of cleaned and washed out inside. Maybe everybody ought to be veridicated now and then to teach them that honesty begins with honesty to self. Mr. Coombes? 
Mr. Coombs looked as though he never wanted to ask another witness another question as long as he lived. Mr. Brannard? Gus got up, holding a sapient member of a sapient race who was hanging on to his beard, and thanked Ernst Mallon fulsomely. "'In that case, we'll adjourn until 0900 tomorrow. Mr. Coombs, I have here a cheque on the Chartered Zarathustra Company for 25,000 sols. I am returning it to you, and I am cancelling Dr. Kellogg's bail,' Judge Pendarvis said, as a couple of attendants began getting Mallon loose from the veridicator. "'Are you also cancelling Jack Holloway's?' "'No, and I would advise you not to make an issue of it, Mr. Coombs.' The only reason I haven't dismissed the charge against Mr. Holloway is that I don't want to handicap you by cutting off your foothold in the prosecution. I do not consider Mr. Holloway a bail risk. I do so consider your client, Dr. Kellogg. Frankly, Your Honour, so do I, Coombs admitted. My protest was merely an example of what Dr. Mullen would call conditioned reflex. Then a crowd began pushing up around the table, Ben Rainsford, George Lunt, and his troopers, Gerd and Ruth shoving in among them, their arms around each other. "'We'll be at the hotel after a while, Jack,' Gerd was saying. "'Ruth and I are going out for a drink and something to eat. We'll be around later to pick up her fuzzies.' Now his partner had his girl back, and his partner's girl had a fuzzy family of her own. This was going to be real fun. What were their names now?' Syndrome, complex, eaten, superego. A thing some people named fuzzies. End of chapter 15